Amen. Today we're starting a new series. It's not particularly a themed series as such, but it's a new series all the same. And the title of the series is A Proverb A Day. A Proverb A Day. A Proverb A Day. It's called A Proverb A Day because we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs, right? And um, we're going to be expounding some truths as God will help us from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a very unique book. Um, a proverb can be described as a short, poetic sentence that conveys wisdom. And it conveys wisdom in, in a concise and memorable form. So that's what a proverb is, essentially. A short, poetic sentence that conveys wisdom. And it conveys wisdom in such a way that you would remember because of the way that it is expressed. Proverbs are typically based on the experience or the observation of the writer or the speaker. In the case of the Bible, and in case of the book of Proverbs specifically, it's mostly a man called Solomon. It's mostly Solomon's experiences and observations that he was able to put down in the book of Proverbs. Amen. Now, it then is most Proverbs take a a form of a two-line unit in which the second line is sort of corresponding with the first line in some way through what we call parallelism. So this is a bit theological, but it will become important later, right? Parallelism is actually the major literary device that is used in the book of Proverbs. And there are four major types of parallelisms in programs. In Proverbs, rather. The first is what you call the synonymous parallelism. The synonymous parallelism is when one thing is being compared to another and it's sort of a synonym. They are alike. An example of that we find in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, where it says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Some versions say an haughty spirit before a fall. They are synonyms, right? Because those are two negative things that are giving you a negative outcome. So that's what you call synonymous parallelism. Then you have what we call the antithetical parallelism. This is the opposite. When two opposite things are being described, like we have in Proverbs 11 verse 19 that says, genuine righteousness leads to life, but pursuing evil leads to what? Death. So one leads to life, the other leads to death. Word and opposite. So you can call them antonyms in a sense. As the second type of parallelism we have in the book of Proverbs. The third type of parallelism we have in the book of Proverbs is what we call the synthetic parallelism. And an example of that is the one who conceals hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. As in Proverbs chapter 10 verse what, 18. It's synthetic because those two things are not exactly connected but the writer still chooses to put them together because he's trying to convey general thought. So that's why it's called synthetic in theology. And the fourth kind of parallelism is what we have as comparative parallelism, where you have the word like used in it. So we have that in Proverbs 25, 25, where it says, good news from a distant land is like what? Cold water to a parched truth. Now, if you read the book of Proverbs, which I'll encourage you to read, you would find these things commonly expressed in the book of Proverbs. 
a lot of two-line parallel words or phrases rather relating with each other in some way. This is the most common literary device or characteristic of that book. So the next thing we're going to do before we dive into the book today is we're going to look at the uniqueness of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a very unique book because the book of Proverbs is a collection of collections. What I mean by that is that the individual discourses and sayings inside the book were essentially compiled into collections, and these collections were compiled into the book of Proverbs. What that means is that for every chapter of Proverbs, it is not necessarily a singular thought that is occurring from verse 1 to the end. What you have is different sections of different thoughts by the authors that were now compiled based on how the compilers believed they related to one another. And that is what created what we have as the chapters of Proverbs. It's written very differently from all the other books, like the narratives that are one narrative story, the histories, or even the Psalms, where for the most part, each song and each Psalm has one consistent thought from beginning to the end. Book of Proverbs is not like that. It's a collection of collections, right? And for that reason, what that means is that the book of Proverbs is one of those books that can be studied in sections. In what? In sections. So you can take a section of verses and dissect them. And you take another section of verses and dissect those sections without necessarily following them in what? In concise thought. As long as you're able to treat the section then you are fine. And most Bibles, particularly study Bibles, divide the book of Proverbs into their appropriate sections so that you can properly know where the sections are. So for today, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at two different sections within Proverbs chapter 6. The way I want to treat this, um, this topic, this a proverb a day that we're going to be looking at for a little while is... I liken it to some of the cartoons that I see my little brother watching sometimes. You know when there's a cartoon showing, and in one 30-minute episode, you can have two different stories that occur within that same episode, and one ends and another one begins. It's still that same episode, but there are two episodes, two stories within a 30-minute segment. And that's how I want to approach this series. So for part one, the two sections of the two mini episodes that we're going to be looking at today are Ant School and Seven Abominations. Ant what? School and Seven Abominations. So we're going to start with Ant School. Can we open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 6 from verse 6 to 11? And if anyone is there, you can read for us or you can just read from the screen if you're quick enough. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no guide, overseer or ruler, provided her meat in the summer and gathered her food in the harvest. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of thy sleep? 
Just a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travels and thy wants as an armed man. Amen. 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 So you see the reason why it's called ant school. Solomon told you to go and learn from who? From the ants. So you're going to school with them. The reason why I decided to choose this is because we spoke about and our daddy spoke to us and told us the word he received from the Lord about this year. We've made stickers and we've said that our year, this year is a year of prosperity for us. And you see, this small section of the scripture is a cautionary tale, in a sense, that tells you how poverty creeps into the life of a what? A person. That's what it tells you. That's what it ended with, right? It said a little sleep, a little slumber. And poverty creeps into what? Into you. That's what happens. But before we talk about poverty, we have to look at prosperity. If prosperity is the opposite of poverty, right? Then it means that the characteristics that we've given to prosperity also have to be, in a sense, given to poverty. In the sense that we said prosperity is physical and material. It's also prosperity in your soul, which is your intellect and your emotions. And it's pro prosperity in your spirit, which has to do with your relationship with God. So if you can prosper in all the aspects of man, that means you can experience poverty in all the aspects of man as well. There can be spiritual poverty. There can be physical and material poverty. Physical poverty includes poverty in health because that has to do with your physical body. There can be emotional and intellectual poverty as well. Right? We have to recognize that it exists on all the different layers the same way prosperity does. So the same way we can't look at prosperity through one lens, we also cannot look at poverty through one lens. So because of that, that sort of exposes or expands the thing that Solomon is saying to us in this passage today. In what sense? There are two major things that Solomon wants us to learn from the ants. And the first thing that he wants us to learn from the ants is this. As much as God is interested in the, po in the prosperity of all his children, and we've studied in this fellowship, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. There are some things that are still left to you and are not left to God. And the first thing we can find in verse 7 of this, which is essentially the, the ants are very independent in their pursuit. They are what? Independent in their pursuit. And that's why it says, well, which having no what? No guide, no overseer, or ruler. That's verse 7, right? What does it mean to be independent in your pursuit? It simply means that the ants, in their desire to prosper, they don't rely on any external temporary motivation. Do, do you know that in terms of spiritual prosperity, there are people today that their spiritual state is dependent on their relationship with their pastor or their relationship with the church at that particular point in time, how good they are feeling 
or how much they are appreciated at a certain period, how much they feel like they are welcome. How many of us know that? That people connect their relationship with God to external factors that do not concern God. So that's spiritual prosperity, right? Because spiritual prosperity has to do with the health of your relationship with God, your connection with God. There are people that connect, and that's the reason why we say depression is a spirit, anxiety is a spirit, fear is a spirit. Because people have connected their emotional security to things that have nothing to do with God, to external things that are outside of themselves. So they keep relying on other things to make them feel good. They are not independent in their pursuits. They are codependent either on something or a substance. And that's where all the drug abuse that we have in the world, that's one of the links that we have. Because emotional security, because of that temporary feel-good factor, just to have a semblance of emotional prosperity, people have linked it to something else. There are people that have attached their physical prosperity to their hospitals. There are people who have attached their physical prosperity to their so-called strong genes. There are people that have attached their material prosperity to their jobs or to one uncle somewhere or to one auntie somewhere. What Solomon means by having no guide, no overseer, or no ruler here for the ants is that nobody, no being can influence the ants to relax on their pursuit of what? Of prosperity. Because it is not dependent on who? On anyone. It's inside of them. And sometimes when you watch them move, you just be wondering. Because they pull more than their own weight. Gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering and gathering. That's the first thing that we must learn from them. That if you want to prosper, then your relationship with God must not depend on anybody else. It has to be you and God. It's not about when daddy is smiling with you and when daddy is not around. If our relationship with with God is still dependent on when the leader is around to caution and not caution, when our service to God is still on the level of uh, when Pastor Billy is around or when he's not around, and there's a problem. There's a problem. And that whistles down to every single aspect of our lives. There has to be a singleness of purpose in our pursuit for what God has said he would do. That is not, in, is not codependent. That doesn't rely on any other human being 
or any physical circumstance that you see. It is literally just you and who? And God. That independence and singleness of pursuit is the first thing that we have to learn from the ants. The second thing we have to learn from the ants, though, is that they have an understanding of times and seasons. They have what? An understanding of times and seasons. Can, we, can someone open to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1? And somebody else open to First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. Ecclesiastes 12, 1, written by the same man that wrote Proverbs. I'll read it. It says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. First Chronicles 12, 32. It says, And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their what? Commandments. This was one of the most profound things that were mentioned by any of any of the children of Jacob. That because they understood what the times, they were able to discern what Israel was to do and not to do. If you go to John chapter 9, verse 4, this was Jesus speaking here. And he was talking to us about walking while it is day. Because night cometh when no one can. See, night cometh when no man can what? Can work. What does this all mean? And how does it relate to the ants? It says that the ants provided her meat in the summer. And what? Gathered her food in the harvest. Provided her meat in the summer because winter is coming when they cannot provide their meat. When it's too cold for them to go outside. And gathered their food in the harvest. Because planting season is coming when there will be nothing to harvest. How does this relate or directly connect to what we are speaking about in terms of fending off poverty from coming to us. We have to realize that our God is a God of seasons. And there are different seasons in every human being's life. You know, sometimes daddy sees me reading books and he makes a comment sometimes and he tells me that this is the time when I can read all these books. At the time is coming when I'll be too busy with the work and all the other things to consume all the books that I am consuming now. And I take it to heart and I keep consuming. It's true. There are times and seasons. And you see, in the pursuit or in this journey of life, to ensure that poverty does not creep upon you, you have to know and you have to be conscious of when it is your time or season to take a step. And when you are in the presence of God and under his anointing, he would always reveal to you. And when he reveals to you, you have to do. 
which brings us to the third thing that the ants did, which was they had the discipline and they had the diligence to invest in the right what times and seasons. It's not enough to simply know. You have to what? Do. If you are saying that God has told me that I am going to be this, I'm going to do this in this kingdom, I'm going to do that in this kingdom, oh, I have a heart and I want to burn for God, I want to serve him, I want to do this, this is the time to be investing in yourself. Because it's not enough to simply say, I want to. Or God called me. Do you know how many people that God called that are in the grave today? That didn't fulfill it. Do you know how many people that God called that have left him today? The time is now. And that is connected with spiritual prosperity. What about material? What about physical? What about intellectual? What about emotional? God is our healer. But the standard for believers is divine health. Hmm? And one thing that I know about God is that when God is dealing with you on something, he will deal with you on it completely. What I mean by that he would, is that he will tell you what to do and what not to do. Hmm? There are some of us that as we came in here, one of the things that God impressed on God's servants to be hammering on our lives is to go back to school, to face education, to get delivered from the the demon that has defeated most Nigerian youths today based on our economic circumstances. Isn't that prosperity of the mind in a sense? Wouldn't that eventually lead to material prosperity? That's what I mean, that when God wants to deal with you, he deals with you completely. It's not something that falls from the sky. It's about specific instructions to ensure, like he said, that's what, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. But you cannot afford to miss the crucial seasons of your life. Because when you miss those seasons, to recover it again is God's grace. Adi has given the example of the things that happened before I got married. And how he knew that it was time. Did I know it was time? No. But if I missed it, I don't know what will happen tomorrow. That's just how it is. For every area of our lives. There are some things that... We're saying it's our year of prosperity. We're claiming it. We're confessing it. We've put the sticker. I've put it on the keyboard there. I've put it on the fan here. It's not enough. Because as the year progresses, instructions are going to be coming to you about things that you must do. And what does the ant do? The ant understands when to gather. The ant understands that they have to provide their meat in summertime and gather. In harvest time. 
Because the time is coming when they won't be able to gather. Where it is what they have gathered that they will be using. Right now, we're saying, come to library, borrow book, come to library, borrow book. By the time some of you born twins, <laughs> you will wish that you read all the books that you wanted to read. When they are crying and they don't allow you to sleep in the night. Because this is the time to what? To read, to get involved in God's work. Which is why when I see children that do not have a rebellious spell, that had the opportunity to just be in church from when they were young. Some of them, some of these ministers that we look at, if you look at the way they raise their children, not all, though, I mean some abroad, those that homeschool their children, that the children didn't have a rebellious phase, that all they knew was God's house and church. The child never had a phone till the child was a man. <laughs> so there was no Twitter, there was no, there was no distraction, and they could just focus on God from their youth and that's what we read in ecclesiastes till adulthood i envy children like that those are the kind of children i want to raise that's why i don't think i can raise them anywhere except here (laughs) amen why because there is nothing better literally nothing better you see everybody that seems to be looking at you and laughing at you, some older than you, some younger than you. You know some of them will still come back to God later in life. It's just that they will come back in their 40s and 50s. And they will come with a lot of regrets. The regret is not about making heaven. The regret is that they have spent their strength. On who? On the devil. That they have missed the time when they should gather during the harvest. So you should count yourself blessed. And these are the three things we learned from aunt school. And if we can do this and we are not sluggards and we don't find ourselves sleeping, what Solomon says here will not happen to you. Poverty will not creep upon you and creep into your heart. To your household. So let's move on from that. We can call it an episode. And move to the next episode quickly. Which we're going to run down a bit quicker. Which are the seven abominations that are mentioned in Proverbs chapter 6 from verse 16 to 19. And also, I I chose this because we've stepped into a new year and we need a reminder of some things to live by. Not just to live by, but some things to stand for. I read, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in the running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Seven what? Abominations. Seven things that God despises. 
The first is a proud look. What does a proud look mean? It's not particularly talking about a proud look like this, a particular look that you look, and when you look, then that's a proud look. No. What it actually means is a proud outlook. It comes from the heart, but it manifests in on the outside. And God hates pride. The second thing that it talks about here is a lying tongue. A lying what? Tongue. Lies have to there are no lies don't have color. Lies lie. There's no white, there's no red, there's no grey, there's no pink. Hmm? A lie is a lie. And most lies are born from fear. Fear of consequence. Anyone who does not live in fear will not lie. Because there's no need to lie. Then we have hands that shed innocent blood. I'll come back to that. A heart that devises evil imaginations. People that con- concord evil. You see how he's talking about the heart and he's not even talking about the actions. Because God sees the content and intent of hearts. And the second one is connected to it because after the heart has devised the evil imagination, then what happens next? The fifth, this fifth are what? That are swift to run to what? To mischief. Then we have a false witness. Someone who claims to see what they did not see or denies seeing what they actually saw. For anything, material gain, pride of place, acceptance, whatever the case may be. And finally, someone that sows discord among brethren. Do you know there are people like this that just like seeing people fight? They are anarchists. They just take pride in going to say, this is what this one said about you. Go. This is what this one said about you. Like, it's just, it's their thing. Like, they can't stand when an environment is peaceful. If it's peaceful, they'll say it's boring. Am I, there are people, don't you, I mean, there are people like that. (laughs) If it's peaceful, they say it's boring. As you are now, there's no fights, no arguments, nobody is hating, so they're not comfortable. It's like something has to happen. God hates such people. He can't stand them. And for us believers, it's not enough for you to say that, oh, this thing will not feature in my life. Hmm? 
It's not enough. Can we open our Bibles to the book of Psalm? Psalm 97 verse 10. can we read what it says ye that love the lord what does it say hate evil it's just that first part hate what evil as believers the true sign that we are with god is that we love what the lord loves and we hate what he hates hmm? My general stance on the gospel, and I mean the decimation of the gospel, is I believe in preaching what God wants for you. In that, I believe in preaching the good news, ultimately. So there are people that, and I've heard a lot of ministers talk about this, like ministers of old, though. I've heard Martin Lloyd-Jones speak about these old theologians. Martin Lloyd-Jones once had a preacher who he was advising and counseling because this preacher focused so much. His entire ministry was on debunking, debunking, debunking. Simply debunking what is wrong, debunking what is wrong. It's basically defensive apologetics. And Martin wrote to this guy and said, there's nothing wrong in what you are doing in and of his heart, but you cannot build a ministry on this because the gospel is first the good news. It's about telling people what God has done. Yes, you can defend the gospel, but you cannot build the entirety of your message simply of, on saying, oh, that person is wrong, that person is wrong, and that's all you teach without telling people what is right. And eventually that person's ministry started to struggle and some things happened. So he, he told that story. So, and there are people on YouTube today that their entire message is, that guy is wrong, that guy is wrong, this person is wrong. And you know, objectively, what they are saying is not wrong. But there's not one place where they just preach. How do you get people saved when you don't give them the good news and give them an opportunity to receive Jesus? If the entirety of your message is based on just, oh, that church is saying the wrong thing. Oh, this church is saying the wrong thing. That's not the gospel. So that's my stance. But on some issues, I will always, always appreciate them for the fights that they've decided to fight. Hmm? And that's why I said I was going to come back to hands that shed innocent blood. On the issue of abortion, I would always, always be on their side. Even if they need to talk about it a thousand times, I would always be there to listen. Because that is a specific thing that is on this list that is a great abomination to God that the world is normalizing and Christians have to fight. Have to what? Fight. Openly. Speak about it. It has entered Nigeria up, you know. It's not a Western thing anymore. I'm not saying abortions. Abortions have always existed. 
I'm talking about the social drive to normalize abortion. It's no more a US thing, because things don't, or a Europe thing, because bad thing does not have to take time <laughs> to enter this country. <laughs> it doesn't take time at all. It's the good things that take a lot of time. And there's an active battle here. And you see, on that point, you have to hate it. There's no middle ground. There's no place that the conversation comes off and you are trying to meander. No. If you try to meander around it, you're not standing for Jesus. It's not an explanation thing. It doesn't matter if they take your opinion or not. It doesn't matter if they quote you. Because what we need to know about these things is that as the close of the age draws closer, the more the devil will continue to inspire men to continue to do these things. Because the more they do these things, the more they prove and show that they hate God. And that's why the nations are a mess. I close by saying this. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9, God talked about how he was going to use, he was talking to Isaiah and gave him a prophecy of how he was going to use Assyria to judge Israel. And he was telling him everything that Assyria would do. But you see, he mentioned that Assyria will say unto himself that it is by his own hand he is doing this thing. Assyria was a tool in the hand of God. Assyria thought he was acting on his own. So because of the intent of Assyria's heart, when God has finished using Assyria to judge his own people, he now judged Assyria and promised a rescue for his people. That's when he said a stump will rise out of the root of Jesse. Speaking about Jesus. What am I saying? The more the nations rise up to hate Jesus through some of these practices, the more he will judge the nations. Buari is judgment to Nigeria. Let nobody tell you otherwise. It's God's judgment. But you see, he too, he would think that he's acting on his own. The two will think he's the master. He will not know that there's a master in heaven that is controlling the entire universe. And when God is using those tools, look across all the nations and all the things they are suffering. USO, China, all the places where you see great persecution and great wickedness. When you look at the root of idolatry in those nations, you will know that God has not changed his pattern. He's still the same God. But you see, when he is done, the tool itself will be what? Will be judged. And that's how our God is. Our own is just to stand for what? For truth. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. And never back down in standing for it. Let's rise up.